0: To Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards our sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair event here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by Janet Gunter. Hi. <laughs> and by longtime volunteer restarter Faraz Sayed. Hello. Today, we have a great show in store. We'll start by talking to Faraz about some of the recent fixes and repairs he's done at an event uh, last week, and then move on to discuss and hear about a great project he's involved in, and then continue with some more esoteric conversations about the future or the end of Moore's Law. But let's get started with Faraz. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi. Hi. Um, I'm Faraz. Um, I've been with Restart for um, yeah, quite quite a long time. Years. I think I, yeah, I've, I've joined after um, after your first birthday, sh-
0: shortly after that, and now what we're like three and a half years. Like yeah, you've been repairing endlessly for the past two and a half years <laughs> yeah. with us, and not just with us in general. How, how did you find out about your inner desire to repair in the public?
1: yeah um I think it's born from um, you know uh, I got I find out about these these things called hack spaces and, and I was really excited about wow there's these communities of people that meet up and make things and do things and and then learn new stuff about um, what I was really interested in is, is trying to use electronics my my Arduino has been been hiding away in, in a drawer for for ages I need to take it up wipe the dust off of it and and try and build some projects with it and uh, i found a group in the london hack space um and they uh they meet up and talk about the electronics projects and um they mentioned you guys um they mentioned that you guys had the first birthday but I, I unfortunately i missed that but i, I did come along to a, another resell party shortly after that in um hern hill yeah and,
0: and- then. And you've been touring London and beyond since almost non-stop. I'd say.
2: Did you fix as around the house or for friends and family, like when you were younger?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like it's. I think it's just sort of. I've been growing up around that sort of idea that if something's broken, have a go at fixing it. You can save yourself a lot of money, sort of thing. My dad's always been. Always trying to fix things. He's got a, a shed full of tools and stuff. Half, half of it, he doesn't use, but um, he's always he's got that mentality and passed that on to me. And and yeah, I I enjoy it. I
0: enjoy fixing things. Cool. excellent. And we all have extra spare parts hidden somewhere away, or not so hidden. In my case, that people at home feel like hopefully you'll do something with them at one point. But you do need to have extra bits and bobs in order to be able to be creative about the things you fix. So I wanted to ask you, what happened uh, last Saturday, just three days ago, we were in Hackney back at the Arcola Theatre and it was an excellent event run by the Hackney Fixers and you had quite a lot of repair adventures on the day yeah
1: um so the first thing I had a look at on that day was um uh a guy came on with his his screen that the the backlight had uh, stopped working and and it just happened that it it's it's broke before and he uh he got a new inverter and fitted it in but um six months down the line it broke again so um we uh we had to go opening up and um we found that the the cable for to the inverter was slightly twisted uh, and that could have caused the the signal the power not going to the inverter so we we uh presumed that his his last inverter cable was fine because um swapping swapping to a new inverter cable when he had the old inverter board uh, didn't fix it so the cable probably uh, uh, hadn't been broken uh, happen- and we- i
2: think this happens <clears throat> this happens quite a bit where where um we suspect it's one thing then we make an assumption and try something and then actually it may not have been the thing in the first place um and we have people coming back often to events so th- this particular laptop, I think we must have seen three times at different events, and the owner of the laptop must be quite competent now at um at disassembling yeah. and getting i mean when he first arrived, I remember him being very cautious and scared of he opening. he came
1: along with a list he had a he had a whole list of the step by step where the screws go and how to how to dismantle right. it so he's 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 opened it a couple of times, so he he was a lot more confident at it.
2: I can imagine a lot of people just giving up. You know, when the screen goes, you've opened it up twice, but he's a very tenacious um, restarter in training. so
0: Particularly when you've already opened something once and in a sense you start feeling more entitled to giving up. It's, it's the opposite feeling of the true restarter that decides, okay, I'm never going to give up. But sometimes you fix a thing and then another thing. And it's yeah. again, go figure, how much is the spare part going to cost me? How long it will take me? I, I just had a, an experience like that with a dishwasher very recently. And luckily at the time when I was just about to give up, for real, I realized that there was a simple mechanical switch that was preventing. For some reason, we had touched it, and I switched it back to the original position and magically started working again. So I can understand how people can lose their patience and and just feel lost. Um, yeah.
2: And then you looked at some other mobiles, which people definitely tend to want to give up on, and both of the owners seemed like quite tenacious fixers as well. So, what was the first mobile you looked at?
1: So, yeah, there was a, a Nokia uh, phone. Um, it's it's one of these ones that are like completely sealed. Like, there's no way of just looking at it how to get in. Like, um, we eventually found out there's a screw hidden underneath the the SIM card slot, which undoes a little sort of latch on the side, and then you'll be able to open up the screen. And that's how you get into it. You have to go through the screen, and all the bits live in the back case sort of thing. Um, but yeah we we took it apart and we measured the the battery the voltage on the battery and it was reading quite a low value only 2.3 volts and it's a 3.7 volt lithium polymer battery that should read somewhere between 3.7 and 4.2 um, so I suggested he gets a new battery and um, because he saw me doing it he could he could probably open it up himself and replace the battery uh, otherwise just come along with to a, another restart party we can it uh, swapped over.
2: And then you did a is an iPhone 4 screen replacement which yeah. tell us about how frustrating that is.
1: Yeah, well, the iPhone 4 is um, th- they've designed it such that the screen is probably the hardest thing to to replace because you have to take a, a you have to go through the whole lot and get rid of the the battery the motherboard the the logic board the take off all the little connectors and then you take off the the eight different screws that hold the screen in place then you slip out the screen put the new screen in and then you have to undo everything that you've done just to to get to that stage yeah. wow yeah but you managed yeah yeah we we did it it, it, it overran a little bit but um we did manage to to get it fixed
0: to Apple's credit actually over time they've improved the design so that the screen which guess what is the one bit that people most commonly need to replace um, actually is now quite easy to to take out so at least they learned something especially as they wanted to reclaim repair at their own shops
2: so for us, you you're a maker as well as a fixer. What do you think? Like, I mean, what do you take from fixing into making? I mean, are, how are they related? Because I think oftentimes people think it's two different things, but we see that people who like to fix like to improve things, which is oftentimes kind of making. Or
1: yeah, I you know. think I think it's that same uh, ethos that you are in control of the stuff that you have. That that that's what fixers have, and that's what makers have. You you can. If you if you need something for a particular job, you can you can go out and buy it. But why don't you think about trying to make one? You, you could you can go about making it, and I think that's 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 an overlap between makers and fixers.
0: And actually, you are currently working on something that is kind of bridging the two in a way. Uh, would you like to tell us a bit more about noise?
1: Yeah, so um, Optinose is a project that uh, me and Stanley started last year. We um, Stanley uh, put a message out on the the London Hackspace Meetup uh, mailing list, um, and they and he was looking for someone to help him develop a musical instrument. Um, a new type of electronic musical instrument that uses analogue signals from light and produces cool sounds. Um, and I I was quite interested in that, that idea and, and I helped him build this instrument. Um, we got invited to um, Sweden um, for Music Tech Fest and we had a mad rush trying to build this instrument um, and we performed on stage over there. Um, yeah, so it was quite... <laughs> Quite a quite an exciting time, and then and to to say that you've you've gone to Sweden and performed on stage with with Music Tech Fest is is quite a, sounds sounds really cool. And um,
2: you told us that you did play euphonium, was it at <laughs> school? Yeah, but that you're you don't really identify as a musician per se. I don't,
1: I don't quite. I I don't know. I'm, I'm probably probably not as good as it. I'm probably there's probably somewhere deep inside which which is sort of musical, but um because because i haven't done that in in so long like um like I used to play samba in a, in a samba band. Played an instrument Yeah. So so I played this okay. instrument called a kasha. Um, and uh, when, when I was a teenager, we used to go on, like marches, and you know, we used to have loads of uh, gigs oh, and stuff. That
2: explains a lot because this th- what we've seen is quite uh, per- uh, rhythmic and percussion oriented of what OptoNoise makes. So I am going to try and describe it because I feel like you. It's hard for maybe hard for you to describe it, but this instrument. Um, Okay. Uh, it has some spinning disks, which you've probably laser cut in different shapes and sizes, and they, they can be stacked, but they can also sit um, next to each other. It looks a bit like a drum kit almost, spread out. Um, and then you're essentially shining a, like a, a laser, like the laser you'd use um, for, to point to a, a blackboard or a, a whiteboard or whatever. You're shining that through these translucent lasers, and it gets reflected that- onto... A, a photovoltaic cell beneath, is yep. that right? Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so we've got uh, a load of, of disks. Then they're, they're not CDs or anything like that. There's the sort of perspex discs that um that can be attached to uh we we've got it in arranged arranged in stacks now. Um and you can the idea is uh you can laser laser etch these disks in particular ways or you can uh place um Sugar. There's 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 a disc that is with sugar crystals that are grown on it. There's there's leaves that you can put on there. You can put like bits of oh, like really cool. turnings from a lathe on, on there, and and each one produces a different sound. It's 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 the way that the light passes through the discs and is interrupted in a particular way, and land lands on the solar. And you've panel. got
2: the discs spinning on motors, correct? Yeah. Different speeds. Yeah. So mm. so the
1: the types of motors we we uh, ended up using. Uh, um, are these uh, DC brushless motors, which you normally find in quadcopters, um, and they're a lot more reliable than than the the normal sort of motors that you find in like little toy cars and stuff like that. They, we've 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 tried to use that in the past, and then we, they weren't very reliable. They sort of um, right. Yeah. So, so those well.
2: you're buying new, and you say they've come down in price quite a lot because of quadcopters. Yeah. But there is some reuse in your project as well. So, tell us what you've been able to salvage or reuse from other electronics.
1: Yeah. So we were, we were looking around for for some sort of power supply, but there there's not any need because there are a lot of um, spare like computer power supplies for com- computers that are no longer desktop computers that are no longer in use. Um, and there, there was a spare one going in, in one of the hack spaces I'm part of. Um, and we reused that, that power supply. It's got loads of different voltages and uh, a, a lot of power, enough power to power all the motors um, and the, the electronics inside.
0: So I think uh, it's now a good time to actually play a sample from one of the tracks called Orbits. Here is OptoNoise. Thank <laughs> you. So I'm just trying to imagine how it all works out together in a track like this that you are uh, playing uh, now uh, as a recorded track. Is this recorded through just a one live take or you're using software to edit it? Yeah, so
1: typically we'll we'll try and gather a, a whole bunch of samples Um like have a play around with the instrument and try and find, try and explore the soundscape that, that we've created, and find the the, the nice bits of uh, sounds that we could reuse again in in um, in the sample. But we do use some some music developing software. We can add some reverb and some uh, and repeat sections really easily. It's it's quite difficult to re. Well, it's not too difficult to reproduce the exact same sound again and again just manually. But um, it's. If if you've got a, a nice sound that you like to use, it's it's nice to just copy and paste it? And
0: I guess part of the draw is also that it's a very organic, evolving sound. The fact that, as you describe, like crystals of sugar or other yeah. natural things placed on the discs actually can influence the sound that you get and make it unique.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've we've just we just try and explore all the different things. Like, oh, what does uh, some plastic sound like on this thing? Or Ooh, what does um, this leaf sound like on on there? Or maybe maybe like if, a, if I make a thin wood veneer, would it would it produce a particular sound? It's it's, it's just about thinking about a new way you can produce that sound, and then um, and then trying it out and seeing what it sounds like.
2: Yeah, I mean, looking at the video that I saw, um, it, you know, it strikes me that the word play. You know, we use the word play to play an instrument, but there's also a playfulness. Like there's playing happening when you're performing. Um, you're you know, you're basically using a laser. I mean, you know, like kids and animals yeah. love to play with like little laser pointers and there's a playful aspect to it, which I really appreciate. Um, yeah,
1: what's what's really great about when you're, when you're playing the instrument is that you can, your brain makes that direct connection to what you're doing, to what the sound you're hearing sort of things like, it's like a direct link. So you can sort of tweak that sound by just moving slightly. And it's really, it's really like, once you're in there, you're in the zone sort of thing, yeah.
2: And it's very physical. Like, I think a lot of the thing that people find slightly alienating about electronic music is it's a bunch of, like, you know, maybe um, buttons or knobs that are getting tw- twiddled or whatever. But, like, um, this reminds me of, like, one of, you know, it's kind of the origins of electronic music. I think the theremin or like, a much more physical kind of strange, um, you know, like, 3D and embodied uh, music, yeah. which, is, which is cool.
0: And I also loved... Um power of something that can be indeed played live and Mm -hmm. it's not just a laptop playing what could be previously recorded samples but it has a physical very mechanical aspect to it as well
2: yeah we were gonna so we were asking you earlier um so what we saw is a quite is a quite an assembly of different discs and um it looks like quite elaborate but you were saying that you're looking at kind of figuring out how to help other people build it and make it slightly um, more manageable or smaller so tell us. so
1: that. It's, um, it's the more uh, we're developing a, uh, a smaller version of it which has all the essence of what the, what the um, this big instrument is called the epsilonograph everything that the epsilonograph has um, but like in a smaller version where people who want to produce new types of samples can use this sort of instrument to, to do that to, to explore different sort of Ways of producing samples for for the music,
2: and have you had people um, reproduce the instrument based on what they've seen online? Have you heard of anybody trying to go for it and make one for themselves?
1: I haven't seen anybody yet. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how much how uh, we'll feel about that because uh, we, we are trying to to produce like a product. Okay. with okay. this Opto module.
2: Well, that's good. It's good to know. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be interest. It sounds really really cool. I was saying it reminded me a little bit of the Reactable, which is this other project that came out of Barcelona that um, also has become really, su- I think, pretty successful product, but um, Yeah, we've mm-hmm. seen it on
0: some Maker fairs as well in recent yeah. years. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And uh, uh, we with a huge change in topic, we <laughs> actually would like to touch upon something that uh, we read this week. Uh, the Economist runs every quarter um, a special technology section. And this week they have a very long read article about what they call the end of Moore's Law. Now, Moore's Law um, is a law that a lot of people have been referring to as um, chronicling or perhaps self-fulfilling a prophecy around the multiplication in power in computing over time. It's been 50 years old and uh, it was, if I understand correctly, meant to chronicle how every two years the number of transistors crammed in one single chip, computer chip, would double. But it's also meant to highlight how the processing power would continue to double uh, over the same amount of time. And we're reaching a time when this just simply is no longer possible and we're trying to figure out what does this mean for our use of computing but also for the future of computing devices. What do you make of this for us? Um,
1: yeah, like it, it has like this like graphs that you see with the sort of trend that we saw in the in the past years that uh, is sort of too sloping down but um i think um we'll find a way of of sticking to the to sticking to our our goal of, of doubling i think i think it might need to intro- introduce introduction of new technologies and stuff but um yeah only time will tell really
2: well, we've written about this in the past, and I saw this um, management professor a rather interesting. Um, manage- I mean, I don't often go to lectures on management, but I thought it was kind of an interesting, uh, intriguing topic. He was talking about the logics of innovation. He's talking about these uh, really high level logics that have driven innovation, particularly in the United States, and he said that the logic of miniaturization. It's one of these logics that really has been driving change um, in the tech sector in the U.S. for a long time. And, he ta- and it, it, I believe Moore's Law came out of one of the people who worked at Intel and very much shaped like Intel's development over the decades.
0: The person who yeah. came up with uh, Moore's Law then... Mm-hmm. Uh, was one of the co-founders of yeah. Intel but yeah it came even before Intel was started interestingly enough
2: so I guess the question is how much this logic has to continue self-fulfilling in other words like how much and I think the Economist article brings this into um, it brings it in, into real you know relief which is um, their economic limits so we can continue to innovate and come up with these amazing new technologies uh, even we have the transistors are so close together Ugo you were saying that yeah so f- 14 di- be seen by a human eye, the space between? Yeah,
0: so the, the space in between each transistor is now 14 nanometers. And a nanometer is one at minus nine uh, a, a millimeter. So it's just an incredibly small amount of space. It's impossible even for the human eye to see that, even with a microscope, so it's it's incredible. And
2: so there's so it's possible potentially to make it smaller, but the the actual economic cost, the model, business model may not be there. Yeah. So. so
0: even over time, Intel and other companies have slowed down their new advances in this respect. So the latest development, which is the 14 nanometers. Um, has been delayed by one year, and so that there's been all these delays, and there are economic limits, as you're saying. Uh, currently, a manufacturing plant for this type of chips uh, costs seven billion dollars to be manufactured, and the next level up is going. T- it's predicted to cost something like fifteen, and that means it's like one third of the total revenues of a company like Intel. In, in one year, which means that it's not exactly yeah, there's easy. There's some to risk th- there also, Absolutely. like say that
2: the consumer just decides, you know what, like everything's fast enough, it's small enough, I don't really need the new one. Um, that was one of the things that, that seems to be the consequence of this conversation. So if this seems like an obscure conversation for you, um, it has real consequences. So. Is it that we've just reached, like, we've reached the peak computing power that we can expect out of your laptop, the mobile? And, what, you know, what does it mean for us? Then? Well,
0: what it means is that increasingly the gains we see in new generations of processors are at times in efficiency in terms of reduced consumption of energy mm-hmm. for simple operations. Um But even that, I was just reading yesterday, um, I saw some interesting graphs showing that actually the increase in gain in in efficiency is reducing over time as well for normal computers. So what it really means is that today, if you're out shopping for a computer, any computer you're buying most likely does uh, all that you need to do unless you are... Uh, you know, a super HD filmmaker or something even Game more. Gamer or
2: something, yeah.
0: Yeah, and actually, it even the size of these products at this point can't really change much more because, yeah. funny enough, people have um, given have have increasingly relying on more dense screens which are incredibly power inefficient compared right. and so people are so obsessed with that and so even if you're reducing the size of processors actually you need a larger battery in order to achieve the same oh my gosh. performance okay. so I think we should all (laughs) chill a little bit and enjoy (laughs) the high definition we already have instead than always looking at increasing the yeah. uh, point per inch or pixels per per inch that we we have on all of our gadgets. One
2: of the things you were saying is like the new mobiles that are coming out actually have some of the specs that our laptop that is only three years old have. Yeah, and That just seems kind of crazy if you think about it. They have the same computing power
0: so, yeah, that you, our you laptop that is three a, years old has. A lot of people have a home, a computer that has a four gigabytes of RAM. And the latest smartphones we've seen released have four gigabytes of RAM. So in a sense, they're limited uh, in what they can do, not by... Um, the processor or the memory but by, by the size of the screen. So you can't mm-hmm. do certain things just simply because it's um, yeah. not practical yeah. on a small uh, smartphone screen. So,
2: but one of the consequences that could be potentially really exciting about this, and this guy named Bunny Wang has written about this, and he's uh, behind this uh, very amazing kind of open modular laptop project. He wrote about that this is, this is, there's a real potential for heirloom electronics so if we have kind of finally plateaued and if everything is pretty, pretty much as good as it's going to get, then we can start thinking about keeping things for longer. And I think he's really an interesting thinker in this space. Um, I would really encourage you to look at – everyone to go look at his uh, laptop project and his blog. But he, he wrote this post uh, five years ago. He wrote this post called F- "Why the Best Days of Open Hardware Are Yet to Come," and he was very much focusing in on this issue of of the Moore's Law ending or plateauing. Or and, and this
0: makes a lot of sense because if you look at developments like the Raspberry Pis, you know you can at this point drive your main computing experience with something super small that costs something like thirty five. Pounds or dollars? I even forget I think right the, now. The,
1: the latest ones are actually like less than five pounds. The, the
0: right, so of. it's now a matter of kind of accepting that we have all that we could possibly dream of in terms of normal computing um, tasks that we want to perform, and so yeah, so it's that's it really. Um, so. We are coming to a close for today's show and so I would like uh, to look at upcoming events. Janet, you will be leading on a restart party um in a very different venue uh, next week.
2: Yes, we'll be in a uh, boxing gym uh, in Loughborough Junction. Um, it's an after-school event, so check that out on our website, therestartproject.org. And we'll also be at the end of the month in Primrose Hill on the 29th for another restart party. At
0: the community centre, venue, where we've been many, many times over the years. So uh, I would like to end uh, by thanking Faraz for sharing His excellent repair tips, but also the OptoNoise project, which we really love. And I will play a tiny extract from another track we really love called Red Paint. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next week. (coughs)
2: Boop 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 This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.